Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing gestational diabetes. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, it's me, Jamie. I'm uh, one of the teacher fellows in emergency medicine. Um, and it's Anna, one of the teaching fellows in obstetrics and gynaecology. Still not on Twitter? No. Oh, I am on Twitter. Ah. I just rarely use it. Okay. And in a professional com- capacity or...? Yeah, I've never used it in a social capacity. <laughs> it's, I'm on it for... Um, I am on it for a professional capacity, but um, I'm not obviously quite there yet. Not a <laughs> In between. a professional capacity. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, gestational diabetes and diabetes in general uh, in pregnancy. Yeah. Um, so I suppose, again, the first question is, uh, what is uh, gestational diabetes? Uh, so it is what it says on the tin, really. It's diabetes which specifically develops uh, in pregnancy and then is not there when the patient is not pregnant. Okay. So this is a patient who is a non-diabetic normally, develops yeah. during pregnancy, and then after pregnancy goes back to being yeah. non-diabetic. Exactly. Okay. Um, can it be predicted? Are there any risk factors for this? Um, yeah, so um, when a woman books in her pregnancy, um, there are several questions that her midwife will ask her. A lot of those are trying to determine if she is at risk and whether or not she would need to be investigated for, for gestational diabetes. So things like increasing maternal age, especially above the age of 40, uh, BMI above, the, above 35, um, family history, um, of uh, type two, type one or type two diabetes, um, ethnicity is really important. So certain ethnic groups are really much higher risk. Um, so kind of Asian subcontinent um, women. Um, they're the main ones. Um, and all, if they've had gestational diabetes before, okay. so all of those things you'd ask. And if that was. Um, you know, if you felt that someone was at higher risk, then you would offer them to have a glucose tolerance test mm. um, in the pregnancy. Um, routinely, we would do that between 24 and 28 weeks. Um, that's because by that point, the pregnancy hormones are kind of, there's enough of them around to probably have um, set off as maybe the wrong, <laughs> the wrong word, but the gestational diabetes is noticeable basically on the glucose tolerance test okay um but in women um who have had gestational diabetes before maybe it was quite severe maybe there was actually a query of whether or not she had type 2 diabetes um, or she was like on the the borderline Mm. then you might do an early glucose tolerance test around 16 weeks okay um the rationale for not doing it earlier than that is that there might not be enough of the pregnancy hormones around to have actually um, caused enough insulin resistance to actually Mm. have caused diabetes. So if you do it too early, then you might not pick it up. Mm. Also, a glucose tolerance test, I'm not going to go into it, but it's not very nice if someone's got morning sickness and they have to come into the hospital Mm. having been starved and Mm. then asked to drink 500 mils of Lucozade. It's probably not going to do very much for their morning sickness, so we don't do it too early. Especially because I remember you said if you have something by the bed, you wake up and take and eat it. Then when you wake up, that helps with morning sickness. It does, yeah. That I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so so um, the, the pathophysiology is the, is the pregnancy hormones. Then is it causing an insulin um, um, resistance? Yeah, and that's a normal part of all pregnancy. Um, is that pregnancy is an insulin resistant state 
it's caused by a specific hormone produced from the placenta called human placental lactogen. Um, and in healthy, normal pregnancy, what that does is it means that there's more free glucose available for the baby. The baby can take... Such I've, a parasite. I've said that before. <laughs> they are I? very good parasites. They're a very effective parasite. Um, and so the baby will be able to take everything it needs from the mother. But if the, in order for the mother then not to become diabetic, she needs to produce more insulin to mm. counteract that. And if she already has a, a tendency towards diabetes, then that's when women become gestation, have gestational diabetes. Okay. So the diagnosis will be that glucose tolerance test then? Yeah. So, well, most of the time. Sometimes maybe someone doesn't have risk factors and so you don't offer them a glucose tolerance test and they may present later in the pregnancy with mm. some of the complications of undiagnosed gestational diabetes. So a big baby or um, polyhydramnios, lots of amniotic fluid around the baby. Okay. Can the mother be unwell with it then if it goes missing, if you, if you don't diagnose it? Um, you're not going to get kind of D, uh, DKA or no. you know di uh, diabetic ketoacidosis with it. Um, women might have if they have very high blood sugars, then they might get some of the symptoms mm. like polyuria and polydipsia themselves. Um, but you'd, you'd probably pick it up because the mother, obviously in pregnancy, is going to be monitored. You would hope quite regularly. Yeah. Um, so you'd probably pick it up in the baby before the mother before becomes the ill. Okay. Um, and does it alter the way you manage the pregnancy then when you, you pick up a, a, a lady's having gestational diabetes? Yeah, it does. So these women um, would require consultant-led care rather than midwifery-led care. Okay. We have special clinics dedicated with um, you know, combined diabetologists and obstetricians so that we can kind of and um, dietitians as well and diabetic specialist nurses, so a real multidisciplinary approach to management. Um, Women, because I've kind of touched on the fact that if it's left undiagnosed or not managed correctly, the high sugars mean that the baby obviously will take too much glucose, the baby has a risk of becoming um, large, we call that macrosomia, um, or too much fluid around the baby, so we'd want to monitor for that by doing regular growth scans. Um, probably around 28, 32 and then again at 36 weeks to see that the baby was growing well and that the lycra volume was normal. Um, and then obviously the pregnancy would then be managed differently in the sense of the treatment that might be required. Um, and that depends on the severity. So um, if someone's gestational diabetic, you may just be able to... Um, in discussion with a dietitian, that might be managed by diet alone. Someone might that might be okay, and that might be sufficient. You might be able to give um, metformin. We we use so oral anti um, oral hypoglycemic medication, um, or they may need insulin. Um, and actually, um, it's not unusual for women as the pregnancy progresses. Even if a woman is doing, you know, she's managing her diet optimally. Um, the, the more the pregnancy grows, the more of these anti-insulin hormones are produced. Actually, it's it's quite normal for them to need more treatment as the pregnancy progresses. So, so go from diet to tablets to maybe even needing yeah, subcut insulin. Exactly, and actually, you re I'd reassure someone at the beginning of the pregnancy, or tell them, oh, sorry, not the beginning of the pregnancy, at the beginning of the point that they've been diagnosed, that that's quite a normal path, and it doesn't mean that they're not, you know, they're failing um, yeah. at diet management. It's just 
that's what happens. It, you do you need more and more um, medication. You've done nothing to wrong. This it. is just exactly. Yeah. Um, what's uh, what's the, you, so you mentioned about too much fluid around the fetus? What what's the the problem with that? What what might cause what problems might that cause? Um, so mostly it wouldn't cause really any problems. It's more mm. just a sign of an, in, okay. an indication that the baby is getting too much glucose. The amniotic fluid is bec- is essentially fetal urine, and just the same as diabetic person gets polyuria. If the baby gets that, then they get more fluid. Um, it might cause problems uh, with regards to delivery. So if there was you know, huge amounts of fluid, it might prevent the baby taking a normal cephalic presentation in the pelvis, um, which could predispose the woman to need some kind of an operative delivery like a cesarean section, um, or it can increase the risk of things like cord prolapse because the baby's not sitting correctly inside the uterus. So I'm, I'm guessing um, as... As pregnancy goes on, you know, they may need more scans then if you if you want to keep a closer eye on, on the fetal growth. Yeah, so um, <coughs> routinely um, for diabetic women, um, you do a growth scan at 28, 32 and 36 weeks, but obviously you would tailor that depending on what those scans were showing. Someone might need more scans if in fact the growth um, is abnormal. Okay, um, so so far we've... Um, We've been talking just about gestational diabetes. So say we've got a, a lady who's known to be a diabetic normally, type 1 or type 2. Yeah. Is it a similar sort of... I'm imagining they get straight into this multi, multi uh, this MDT approach straight away then? Is it yeah. as soon as they know they're pregnant? Well, even in some... Actually, before they're pregnant um, sometimes, because for women who are, have pre-existing diabetes, type 1 or type 2, um, if they are either known to already a diabetic team or hopefully if they're GPs on the ball, you'd encourage preconceptual counselling and taking a higher dose of folic acid and making sure that their diabetes is under optimum control before they even plan, even before they come off their contraception. Um, so they might even come to, if they were um, kind of complicated women with diabetes, you might even expect them to come before, just as they're planning a pregnancy. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, certainly, once they find out they're pregnant, we fi- tend to find them in that clinic um, around, you know, in the early stages, um, even before they've maybe even had a scan. Mm. Um, that can throw up a few problems because of the normal problem of um, morning sickness or if they're unlucky, if they get hyperemesis, and obviously that's really complicated them for them to manage their sugars whilst dealing with the vomiting. Um, so we have to make sure we encourage them to still keep taking their insulin, small meals, little and often, you know, the general advice, but there's quite a high risk of women getting DKA around that time mm-hmm. if they're type 1 diabetics. Um, we, I mentioned a bit about... Um, the preconceptual counselling and the blood sugar control. Um, we'd want their um, HbA1c to be kind of very good before they conceived because it's yeah. actually the risks of um, high HbA1c can have a teratogenic effect, especially the risk of fetal cardiac malformations is much higher if someone conceives with poorly controlled diabetes. So all of those things you try and get them managed early on. Okay. And then through the pregnancy, you're, mani- you're monitoring that di- the, the diabetes as well. Um, how's that done? 
Um, so we'd ask women, this is e regardless of the type of diabetes, yeah. gestational or pre-existing, um, they would do regular blood sugars, um, normally first thing in the morning, so they're fasting blood sugar, and then one or two hours after, after each meal, depending on the local guidelines. Um, and there would be kind of cut-offs, basically. Um, so that's normally a fasting should be less than 5.5, and a two-hour post um, blood sugar should be less than 7.5. <laughs> um, again it varies depending on the local guidance um, and that will we they'll monitor their blood sugars and depending on what they're doing that will help us guide as to you know what medication mm. they should take if they should carry on the same or if they need an increase in their medication mm. I suppose all that extra counselling as well for pre-existing diabetes uh, diabetics to to look out for those complications like you talked about already you know already mm. um, so when we're thinking about towards the end of, of the pregnancy and about uh, delivery um, when should it be planned and you know do we go for induction or cesarean or what what sort of is behind our thinking at that point so um Mostly there's no contraindication for women to have a normal delivery. They don't need a cesarean just solely because of the diabetes. Um, but it depends then on whether or not there's been complications or any other problems. So let's say the diabetes was poorly controlled and actually the baby was very large. Um, and in that circumstance, if the baby was incredibly large, you might offer an elective cesarean section to try and avoid a co some of the complications of a normal birth with a, a macrosomic baby. So specifically, shoulder dystocia is the one that springs to mind. Um, but if actually the diabetes is very well controlled and the growth of the baby has been, not been fine, um, you probably would offer a slightly earlier than induction than someone who didn't have diabetes. Um, so maybe by 39 or 40 weeks. Um, the rationale behind that is because the rates of stillbirth are higher in women who have diabetes, either gestational or pre-existing. And so we probably, even if everything has been fine in the pregnancy with control and growth, probably wouldn't let them go over their due date. Um, induct we might induce them kind of sooner than that if there'd been issues with the control or the growth of the baby for example okay and um so you think about risks for the delivery of the newborn you've already mentioned stillbirth being one obviously the risks of of, of a large baby as well yeah uh, are, are there any other risks uh, that you need to be aware of um from a, a normal birth then um if the baby's large, if the baby's normally grown, yeah. then actually there are no additional risks really. But if the baby's large, shoulder dystocia, and also thinking about postpartum hemorrhage, especially if you know there's polyhydramnios and a big baby stretching the uterus, then a higher risk of atonic PPH. Refer back to a previous podcast. Mm -hmm. um, the forties. <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> but otherwise, yeah. Shoulder dystocia, um, to be honest, macrosomia is a risk factor. Mostly shoulder dystocia happens actually in normally grown babies, but okay. we do have to tell women um, that you know that is a risk if the baby is big. And then, so if we've got a lady with gestational diabetes, it's all coming from the placenta, I'm assuming once the placenta's gone, problem solved for, for that lady, is, is that Yeah, right? absolutely, so they can be in the first 24 hours a bit up and down, but generally um, they should get back completely to normal, and um, 
the only thing we'd recommend for them is they have a glucose tolerance test at six weeks after birth to make sure that everything's back to normal um, and that in fact because some of these women they they do have a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes later in life so you'd want to just make sure that they were aware of that and Mm. check that they hadn't in fact got type 2 diabetes at that point so for late so for ladies who started treatment for gestational diabetes do they continue that any of that postpartum no it all stops stops straight away Um, and for women with pre-existing diabetes it's very likely that they will have required significant increases in their their medication doses Um, they pretty much go back onto their pre-pregnancy doses after they've delivered the baby to avoid hypos yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) don't want to kill with kindness no (laughs) thank you very much Anna that was the Take Orally Gestational Diabetes podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we'll put up links to any guidelines mentioned and you can f- uh, contact us to suggest topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. For more information on education and research opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.